Hey y'all, it's Shauna here, your host of Adulting with Shauna, the podcast where I teach you how to adult like a boss. Today's episode is episode 47 titled Get Money. Now here's the show. This week, I've got another interview for you guys. This week, I'm interviewing Miss Kristen Wong. She's the author of the book titled Get Money, and she shares with you how to be empowered about your money and how to take control so that you can make the money and not let it make you. Also, she is a freelance journalist and she's got a lot of great tips. So check out the show about her book, Get Money, and I will tune in with you guys next time. So welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. So let's just get started with uh, talking a little bit about what you do and what brought you to talking about finances. Sure. Well, I have always kind of, I've been a writer since I was a kid and I've always sort of written my way through problems. <laughs> like when I don't understand something, I will write about it. And so money was a, a big problem for me that I wanted to understand. And I, I was working full time at MSN and I started writing, but on the side, I, you know, I've always had a side hustle. So I was like side, doing the side hustle where I was blogging for um, a site called Get Rich Slowly. And I would just like write essays about my own money story. Mm-hmm. So like I was figuring out how to like save more and be frugal and um, deal with money and my relationships and things like that. And so I just kind of started writing essays about my own situation. And then the more that I would learn, I'd start writing about like negotiating and investing and all these like higher level money concepts that I was figuring out on my own. And then I just started, you know, a lot of other places started asking me to write about money for them. So then I started writing for like Lifehacker and NBC News and some, some places about like financial issues, which was super interesting and fun. And then, you know, after a while, my friends started to take notice and they're like, wow, you really, you know a lot about money. How do you know all this stuff? And it's just from writing about it, you know, like you have to research and write about it and interview people. And, um, and they were like, I wish you could just teach me everything that you know, like teach me how to get my financial life in order. And I would always tell them like, oh, I wish I had a book of just like the best advice that I could give you and hand it to you and just say, here, take this and you'll figure it out. And so, you know, five years later, I just decided to write that book. So here I am. That's awesome. That's awesome. What's your favorite part of kind of getting your finances in order? My favorite part of getting my finances in order. I don't know. I've had lately it's I've been so interested in the topic of negotiating just because women don't do it as often. We're looked at less desirably than men are when we negotiate and it's such a nuanced issue. Like people sort of, you know, when you talk about the wage gap, women get blamed a lot for it. and they're like, well you don't negotiate. That's why I don't make as much. It's like, okay. That may be true, but it's also true that when we do negotiate, we pay a social penalty because you think that we're demanding and you think that we're like 
you know what I mean? Like they see men as like, that's par for the course for dudes. Like you can ask for more money and people think you're great. They think you're powerful when you're a woman and you do it. People think you're greedy and they think you're a problem, you know? So Mm -hmm. of course women don't want to negotiate because you might actually be damaging your career in some cases if you do, you know? So I think it's just such a nuanced topic that I've been, you know, exploring lately. And it's just very interesting to me, but it's also interesting to me. Like, you know, I used to be a terror and I still am a terrible negotiator, but I've learned to start embracing it in recent years. And it changed my situation completely. Like it changed my life, you know, to just ask for more money, to get comfortable with asking people for more. Hmm. That's, that's actually very interesting because it sounds like when it comes to negotiating, women have like, it's like a catch 22. Like I can get more money, but then I also may have to face this um, idea that in the workplace, people can look at me as like someone who's demanding and not easy to work with, which is kind of like, do I want more money or do I want to be comfortable in my workplace? So it sounds like kind of been able to find a balance and kind of like step out of that fear and just like go for what you need to like secure yourself financially. Totally. I, I think, you know, when I was in my early twenties, it's not something that I would have done, but I feel like now that I am, I have this confidence and security in my career. And I almost feel like I have a duty to ask for more as a woman because I am lucky and enough and privileged enough to be where I'm at. I want to make it more normal for women like for women to negotiate. I want to make it more acceptable for women to negotiate so that maybe if I do it then you know in my industry people will know that I am a woman and I am negotiating and you better expect other women to do it. You know, I think not everybody is 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 lucky enough to be in a pos- position financially or in their career where they don't have to worry about the social penalty as much. Like if somebody, if one of my freelance clients doesn't like that and they don't want to work with me and they think of me as greedy or whatever, I'm okay with that. I will be okay. Like I will survive. I'll move on. But not everybody's in that position. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's, it's, it's harder. You, you have more to lose in some cases. But, you know, I've definitely asked for more money. And most of the time, like I work for my clients, the places that I work are very open-minded and progressive and you can tell they want me to ask for more. I'm very lucky to have that, mm-hmm. but I have asked for more and it's, I can tell that my relationship with that client has changed. Hmm. And I don't, I mean, I don't know what to do with that. Like, are they going to lay me off? Like if they're laying people off, am I going to be the first to go? Like they're not as nice to me anymore. Like, is that, a, but like you said, like if I'm making more money, like, do I care? <laughs> you know, like yeah. I Maybe I don't really care what they think, but I don't know. So I don't know what to do with that, but I could tell like there was some awkwardness when I asked and it happens, you know? Yeah. You know, that's really interesting because you're talking about like working with clients as well. And I think one of the things that I see um, from coaches and even like from private practice therapists is that there is always like this fight amongst them where some people are like, you need to be asking for your value, whatever you're valued at. And then there's like other people who are like, well, like if you're working with this population, then you should like your value should be right here because this population can't afford it. And a lot of people can't afford high-end services and things like this so there's always like this when we talk about money in these like helping professions it's almost like that it's expected that you give away some part of your service for free or that like it's almost like you shouldn't talk about money at all because it's just like this big like there's so much taboo around it what do you Mm -hmm. think about that like what it like how 
how can negotiating help women work through that? I think it, there's also, it, it's a taboo about talking about money, and it's also that if you're lucky enough, sometimes the idea is like, if you're lucky enough to be, you know, to have this job, you shouldn't be worried about money. You should need, you need to pay your dues. You should just be lucky that we're offering you a job. Yeah. I felt that way for so long. And that was kind of, and I, I love my mom. I'm, I'm not blaming my mom for this, but like, she has that attitude of like, don't ask for more. Don't, don't rough any feathers like just be grateful for the job you have it took me and her a very long time to realize you can be grateful for what you have and still want to get paid you know what right. I mean like yeah I have to pay my bills so you know I think one way to get over is to just remember that to remember that asking for more isn't if you talk about money it does not mean you're greedy it does not mean you're ungrateful it just means you, it's a measure of your growth, right, in your career, and you want to establish what that number is. So, so do it. Um, there's something else I was going to say on that topic, though. Uh, let me think for a second. The other thing is just women have a tendency to undervalue themselves, I think. People in general, I think, a lot of times, especially when they're young, have a tend to un tendency to undervalue themselves. When you ask for money and you talk about money, what you're doing is valuing yourself and you're showing the client or your employer or whoever it is, hey, I'm worth this amount and I'm going to talk, talk talk about it. I'm going to, you know, it, it establishes confidence basically. Like right. if you are, like people value things more when they have to pay money for it. I know that if somebody's going to give me something for free, I'm probably, you know, if I get some kind of free swag somewhere, like a koozie or a t-shirt, I'm like, whatever, I just throw it away, right? But if I have to pay $5 for something, I'm going to value it a little bit more. I'm probably going to wear that t-shirt or use that koozie, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the best example. No, I, I hear that though. Like you have to, like when you invest in it, you want to get your worth, you want to get your use out of it instead of just kind of like squandering it and throwing it away. Exactly. Um, like going back into the coaching profession, if your price is um, the appropriate price, then your client is going to want to show up for it and they're going to want to do all that they can do to get their money's worth out of it. And they want to do all of the work that they need to do to get their money's worth out of it because they've spent that money and that, that amount ha means something to them. Yes. Whereas like in other cases, uh, sometimes in the counseling profession, like if you have the right kind of insurance, then you don't pay out of pocket for that session. And then you, you might squander it a lot. Totally. More. It doesn't have the same kind of weight. It doesn't have the same kind of value to you. Exactly. Like if you're offering a course or if you are, you know, offering a coaching se session, if you, if it's free and there's no cost involved, like the other person's probably not going to take you, take you as seriously as a coach or a teacher, you know, but if you put a price tag on it, people, you, you are putting a value on it. You know, that's how people see it. And it's, it's okay to do that. That makes sense. That definitely makes sense. I want to switch it up a little bit because I was thinking about this. So how do you know when you've made it financially? Like, how do you know you've finally gotten your stuff together and you've got your money? Like, where is the settling point for, for the average person? Um, I, I mean, the answer that I want to give is like, it depends, but that's not a very fun answer. But I mean, I really think like you reach a moment when you get your finances in order where you think, where you stop worrying about money and you think like, oh, this isn't going to destroy me. Like, 
you know, I, my dog has to go to the vet and he has a very expensive vet bill and I'm not destroyed by this, you know, because I think most of us feel destroyed in those situations. Um, you know, but I think it's, if I have to like put a, a factor on it, I would say when you have an emergency fund, like if you save a thousand dollars for an emergency, even like, I'm not saying you've made it, but you've gotten to a, a place where you are going to be okay if you encounter a setback, you know what I mean? And that is a huge game changer emotionally because most of the time when, you know, if you're struggling to make ends meet and you get a flat tire, your car breaks down, or you have some kind of hundred of dollars worth of emergency, you get desperate and you feel like you get stuck in this cycle of just, I don't have enough money to pay for this. I have to put this on a credit card, then I have to pay for that credit card. And you, you feel stressed and desperate. But when you have an emergency fund, you have some kind of buffer or cushion in your bank account. Suddenly it's like, okay, this has happened, but it's not the end of the world. I still have my power. And I think that's really what it comes down to is like, do you still have your power when something bad financially happens to you? You know? Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely does. And I think that there's so many young adults, especially when they're first starting out, and you know, one, they could be working in a job where they're not making the money that they need to be making to meet their bills and pay off student loans. So they don't have that buffer in case something goes down, in case something happens. Mm -hmm. And two, I also think that sometimes people are able to build up that buffer, but it's like the idea of like, if something happens, like, am I going to be able to build my buffer again? And I think that is like a big thing too is like recognizing that financial security is like not only having what you need but like if something should happen will you be able to get back to that point and I think so many people are worried or scared that they would not be able to get back to that point yeah but then I guess it's like well what if you didn't have it at all you know I mean it's then things would be really terrible. But I mean, and, but I think that's also, you make a good point. Like that's why you can have multiple buffers. You know, you have your emergency fund. Um, you can have, I like to keep extra in my checking account just in case I, you know, something co- comes up that's not exactly an emergency. It's just something that I didn't think about or didn't, or I misbudgeted or something, you know? So mm-hmm. I try, and I always try to, um, like when I'm budgeting, I err on the side of, caution. You know what I mean? So I'll estimate that I'm spending, uh, you know, $300 on restaurants every month instead of 200. Like I always overcompensate to make sure that I'm going to have enough money. I, I underestimate my income. So I'm like, okay, I mean, my income varies because I'm a freelancer. So I err on the side of like not making as much. So just in case, I mean, I guess that's a good <laughs> like catchphrase to have when it comes to managing your money is like just in case, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Buffers are a good thing. <laughs> So I know there's a lot of different sites and a lot of different money management systems out there. What makes your system different? Like what makes your system good for the average millennial woman? I think that it's focused on making you feel in control, like making you feel empowered. From the very beginning of the book, it's you establish what your goal is because, and it can't just be like, well, I want to be a responsible adult because I need to get my finances in order. Like you need an actual concrete goal of why you want to get your finances in order. Because what that does is when you say that your goal is, I want to switch careers, you know, mm-hmm. I want to save up $10,000. So I have a career switch fund, switch fund so I can pay my bills during that time. If I, if it doesn't work out, 
Okay, that's a very concrete goal. And what that does is now when you have to cut back on other areas to make that goal happen, you're doing it for yourself. You're putting yourself in charge. So instead of saying, I'm going to say no to this <laughs> avocado toast or whatever the hell it is, like I'm going to say no to this $10 avocado toast, it's not depriving yourself. It's empowering yourself. You're using that, you're making it work for you. And that's really what it should be about is like, how do you make money work for you instead of the other way around? Because most of us, I think, we feel like we're working for the money, you know, like yeah. we feel like, you know, I can't go visit my friend across the country because of money. I can't like take more time off because of money. I can't quit this terrible job because of money or whatever it may be. Um, money usually gets in the way. So the idea is to kind of flip the script and keep not only just keep money from getting in the way of your goals, but using money to fund your goals, you know? So my book has a lot of like the same prescriptive personal finance advice you'll get anywhere, to be honest. But it really focuses on the reader and like what your specific goals are. And it's interactive also, like there are a ton of exercises and assignments. And um, it's also you can go online, like I have some like video tutorials and like worksheets that you can download online. They're also in the book. Um, and it's just really interactive and focused on empowerment, focused on making you feel like you can do this money thing, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that's so awesome because you said something that I talk about to my readers and on the podcast all the time to listeners is that you have to know why you want to do something and knowing that why having that concrete goal and knowing why you have that concrete goal drives you to the success. So like, again, it's like not a matter of made all these sacrifices because that's something I hear from millennials all the time is that I've done everything I was expected to do. I've made all these sacrifices and now I'm tired and exhausted and nothing's happened and nothing's changed and it's so overwhelming but mm -hmm. like being able to go back and look at it and be like I'm doing this because of this and if I do this like if I don't buy the avocado toast then I could put that ten dollars towards my ten thousand dollars and eventually I will have what I want hopefully sooner than later if I'm like if I'm concentrated in this area if I'm very clear and focused then I can get to where I want to be sooner versus kind of like being all over the place and filling myself right now. Exactly. That is exactly right. And it sounds very woo-woo, but like you really have to shift your mindset from one of scarcity to one of abundance. And so instead of thinking like, oh, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I can't afford to go out with my friends. I can't afford cocktails. Like you have to think I'm trying to, I'm funding this money and I'm scrimping and saving for me so that I can do this thing. And I mean, even if you are, you know, if you <laughs> say that you have a family and you're struggling to get by and all you want to do is put food on the table for your family, like, you know, even if you're in that situation, I think you, your goal then is to make sure your family feels safe and secure, you know? So then instead of just, I'm broke as hell and I can't do anything that I want to with my life. It becomes, you need a goal. A goal helps you turn it into abundance, you know? Right. What do you want though? Yeah. But not just any goal, like a goal, because I've seen many, many goals where people are like, I want $10,000 by the end of the month. And it's just kind of like, that seems, that seems Why? very, yeah. yeah. Like that seems like a great goal to have, but like you, like you can say like, yeah, I'm going to sell, $10,000 courses, but why do we need $10,000 by the end of the month? And what's going to happen when your first $1,000 course doesn't sell? How are we going to recover from that? Is there a backup plan? What does this really, really, really look like? Let's, let's get down to the nitty gritty. I also find that when we don't know why, people tend to 
go down all sorts of different paths. They start hopping mm-hmm. down money trails. And then by the end of the month, they haven't made $10,000. They probably spent half of that trying to get to $10,000. So yeah. that's great. That's so true. It has yeah. to be specific and it has to be meaningful to you, you know? Like if it's not specific, you just have a vague goal. Like you said, you're going to be all over the place and you probably forget about it because it's like, well, why do I want to amass $10,000? Oh, who cares? Let me just buy this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there is an age old adage that I hear people say all the time and it, it takes money to make money. Do you believe that that's true? Ooh, that is a good question. I guess to some extent, because if you, you know, the very definition of investing, you have to have money to put into it, I guess. But I don't know. I think you, you, I don't know. You have to kind of start from somewhere. If you don't have money, then you do have, you have to look at the resources you have. I think that's especially true with investing. Okay. Well, you don't have money to invest. So how am I going to make money if I don't have money? I don't have $500 to invest, you know? Um, You have time though. If you're young, you have the resource of time and that's actually a very powerful resource because the sooner you start saving when you're young, the easier it is to make money off of that savings as you get older. So even if you save like $25 a week now, you have the power of time that's going to accumulate more than if you are, you know, 50 and nearing retirement, that's going to go further for you now than it is then. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess it is technically true, but I think, you know, there are other resources aside from money that you can use to make money. Right. I like that. I definitely like that. (laughs) Um, And so my last question, and then I want for you to share more about your book, is that when you say meaningful, I think like a lot of young adults now, especially women, um, you know, like I said before, we do all of the things that we're told to do. There's all these expectations. Like you go to school and you like school is going to be the surefire way to get you into a career to make your job. And then for many young adults, especially the ones who came out of college in 2008 and 2009, were met with no jobs, things Mm -hmm. less than entry level um, or not even in the field in which they went and got degrees. And they're now just coming to the point in their lives where they're either looking down at their field or they are finally comfortable with what they're making but it's not very meaningful to them um you mentioned having a side hustle before what would you say to those women to kind of like help them get out of that I'm not like I'm not happy with the money that I'm making and on top of that it's not meaningful if you are going to come up with a side hustle, I think that's one thing you need to ask yourself is like, what do you actually enjoy doing? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a similar experience with that when I was, I moved to Los Angeles to do screenwriting and I thought it's what I wanted to do, but I didn't enjoy doing it. Like I enjoyed the idea of it, like to say like I was screenwriting, I was writing for television for a while and I had written a show for Fox Digital and it was very cool. And I was, but I liked saying that I had done those things more than I liked actually doing them. I did not, I hated it to be honest. You know, I did not, I wasn't, I didn't enjoy the, um, the process, the, like writing a script. I didn't enjoy that. I liked writing essays more. I didn't like writing with the team. Um, and it just wasn't my thing. I mean, it's other people love it. I'm not talking down. It's just not for me. Um, and so I really had to, first of all, I had to let go of 
and I think a lot of women, are, you know, probably deal with this. Like I had to let go of what other people think because I thought if I give up on this, then that's going to mean I'm a failure. So first of all, I had to come to terms with, I don't enjoy this and I don't want to do this. And I care more about my definition of success than somebody else's. So if someone thinks I'm a failure, so be it. It's fine because I want to do what I enjoy. And then the second thing is I just had to figure out what it was that I enjoyed doing. Mm. And, and I think side hustles are great for that because you can kind of dabble in them a little bit and then get your feet wet, see what the industry is like, see what the day-to-day work is like, which I think is the most important thing. Like, how are you spending your time day-to-day? Do you enjoy doing that? And then if you like it, you can pursue it more. That's how I got into freelance writing. I mean, I've always been a writer, but not exactly what I'm doing now. I've written all different, I've been a technical writer. I've done all different kinds of mediums and it just took like kind of freelancing on the side. Sometimes I'd, I used to write art reviews and I did that for a while. Didn't, that wasn't really my thing. Did the screenwriting thing for what wasn't really my thing. And then finally found what I'm doing now, which is basically just writing Um, you know, essays and articles for different media outlets. And that's really what I've enjoyed doing. So then I pursued that at full force. So I think, you know, coming to terms, I think the answer is coming to terms with being okay to let go of the thing that you worked so hard toward, if it's not really what you want to do and taking that leap as difficult as it can be taking that leap. And the second thing is just finding what it is that you want to do on the side. Maybe that means you keep that job for the time being while you explore your other opportunities or your other interests or endeavors. And then when you find what it is, come up with a plan and slowly start gradually phasing out into the next thing. I love that. I love that you just said that. You mentioned something, so I have to ask a follow-up question, um, where uh, you had to let go of what other people think. I know for a lot of people that I work with, the other people that they are thinking about what they will think is like significant others or family. So it's people really, really close to them. What would you say about how, how do you go about kind of letting go what those other people think in order to kind of get to where you would like to be as far as career and financial wise is concerned? I actually made a list of the people that I cared what they think. And that was so helpful because I was like, I had a very specific person in mind and it was like a very close friend of mine, but I was so worried about what he was going to think all the time. So I was always like, it, it determined my every move. So I think for me, it was really identifying, okay, what, what do I think they're going to think and who is this person? And then it's so much easier to let go when I'm trying to make a decision and I'm like, I don't want to do screenwriting anymore. And then in your head you hear, oh, but what is... Andy going to think, and I've told Andy this, so he knows, I'm like, what is Andy going to think? And you sound, it feels so ridiculous when you put it that way, you know, it's like, who cares? You just, it sort of puts it into perspective and makes it a little bit less significant to you, I think. Um, The other thing is just prioritizing yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, putting yourself first, saying no to things that you don't, that aren't good for you and you don't necessarily want to do. Like if, you know, for me as a freelancer, I was, I would say yes to every single thing. Like anytime a client asked me to do something and I didn't want to do it, I, it, I was so driven by money that I would just say yes. Cause I couldn't imagine saying no. Um, so I think it is, you know, but sometimes you do want to say yes. So I think it, it's figuring out when to say yes and when to say no. I talked to a researcher one time who said, you know, when it comes to freelance jobs or anything, any new opportunities, if it's not a hell yes, then it should be a no. So it's okay to say no to like, 
if somebody, you know, if somebody wants to pick your brain and you've, you're tired of having your, your brain picked, it's okay to say no to that sometimes, you know, yeah. it's, you don't, you don't want to put everybody else before yourself because you start losing, pers- you start losing your own perspective and you don't know what you want anymore, you know? Yeah. I think that's so amazing. I never even thought to say like make a list and kind of like review that and see, see what that, that means. But Mm -hmm. I think that's so important to also recognize that half the times the things that we think is going to happen doesn't happen. I would actually say more than half the time. So the things that we think is going to happen definitely doesn't happen. So we're just kind of, we spend all this time in the what ifs and then, then it never, ever comes to fruition. So yeah. I love that. Thank I, you so much for that, that piece of information. I think that's definitely something that um, women need to hear, especially yeah. like building up what they expect for themselves versus what other people expect from them. And going back to the list thing, another thing that I did was I made a list of every situation that made me feel powerless, mm-hmm. um, whether it felt like I had to, this friend was undermining me or a client or a boss or an employer was being kind of nasty to me or whatever. I had made a list of those things that just really made me feel powerless. Then I came up with an action of like, what, what was I going to do to get my power back in each of those situations? You know, was I going to confront that friend and tell her, hey, you have to stop undermining my work or undermining me or whatever the friend is doing? Am I going to go to my employer and put my foot down and say, I'm sorry, you know, like whatever the situation is, um, stop working for them or whatever it is, but come up with an action item to, to get your power back. Even if it's just talking to the person, usually a lot of times the things that make you feel powerless are often all in your head too, you know, like you might, the, the employer, Employer might not be trying to be mean to your boss might not be trying to be mean. All it takes is a conversation to be like, you know what, you're really stressing me out, making me feel completely powerless. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you might not want to say you're making me feel completely powerless, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like come yeah. up with an action of like how you're going to address that so that you feel in, in you feel powerful again. Mm-hmm. Another thing is don't take other people's stress. That was a big one for me to learn. Because you know how when people have stress, they love to just throw it off on you so they don't have to deal with it. And I would always take it because, especially if it was at work, I want to be the good little employee. I want to impress them. I want them to, you know, pat me on the head. No, you can't do that because that will run you down. And again, you lose sight of who you are and what you want because you're too busy doing what everybody else wants you to do that's not necessarily your job, you know? Yeah. And I think that like that goes back to like when you have no power, like, or when you feel like you don't have any power, of course, you're going to take on other things that don't belong to you instead of like, putting it back on that person and saying, you know what, that's yours. And I don't want it. Like, yeah, your negativity over here. And I'm going to do my thing. Over totally, there. Yeah. And I mean, it's not to say like, don't ever help anybody out. Like if somebody mm-hmm. needs help, I'm like, yes, of course, I will help you with this. But on my terms and don't be mean to me about it. You know what yeah, I mean? definitely. Definitely. So Kristen, thank you so much for that really great information. I think that, I mean, that's so powerful and it sounds like, you know, the idea is to put yourself in the driver's seat to making your money and getting your money instead of letting the money kind of like make itself. It's kind of like, or instead of the money, 
um, kind of like driving what you do. You're the person that makes those decisions to go out and get there. And you're the person that's empowered to do what you need to do to get the money. So tell us more about the book. Where can we find it? And when is it coming out? And those kinds of things. It is coming out on March 27th. So it should be wow. out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you can find it anywhere, anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore, probably. Um, Yeah. So it should be everywhere. Awesome. I will definitely be on the lookout and um, I will post this on, well, somebody may be watching this. If that's okay with you, I will go ahead and post this on delightfulstruggles.com so people can come by and look at it. I think you have really great ideas Thank you. about managing, not only managing money, but like managing life. Like that's all like, really it's, it's about balancing and knowing exactly what you want to do, why you want to do it and why does this have meaning to you? So like, I think that's so important. Yeah. It's all connected, huh? Yeah, definitely. It really is. And I think that sometimes people don't look at it that way. Like when we think about money, we think about something that you have to like go outside yourself to get it. We don't, or I think we've all grown up with like that saying where like, there's no money tree in the back that we can go out and shake. But (laughs) I think like when you get into the mindset of like, no, like money is a tool and like I can go out and I can shake the money tree if I just set my mind to it appropriately then it will come to me. But it's a matter of setting your mind and setting yourself up to have it. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you so much for this interview. If you have more interest about how to be empowered about your money, please go and check out Miss Kristen's book titled Get Money. You can find it on Amazon and in bookstores everywhere. You can also check her out at thewildwong.com. That's thewildwong.com. And you can find her on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. All right, I'll check you guys next time. Bye now.